0: You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. Welcome to a show. I'm so excited to be back. I haven't been here for the last few weeks. Uh, If you don't know me, if you're not used to the show, I'm Kate. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist and I'm joined by two awesome co-hosts today, Kai and Kat. How are you guys going?
1: Yeah, pretty good, Kate. Um, Katriana, how about you?
2: Yeah, good thanks, Kai and Kate. I am so excited.
0: Awesome. Before we launch into our super fun episode, um, which spoiler alert is about dinosaurs? I couldn't hold it in any longer. I'm that excited, um, but we'll get there. We'll get there, folks. But just to just keep you excited. But before we get there, I have a, I have a very important question for you guys. Um, if you had a warning label, what would it say?
1: Ooh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I would on, say get to know your
0: co-hosts <laughs> on a Friday I'm afternoon.
1: Don't feed after midnight, <laughs> because that's straight out of the the movie Gremlins, and it's a great movie, and also kind of relevant because like if I'm up that much after midnight, things just start not functioning, and it's it's just bad. So, mm. so you so should don't. be asleep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Uh, Katriana, what about you?
2: Well, my joke responses are too hot to handle because all of <laughs> no, you listeners not can't even <laughs> like. You can't confirm. Or <laughs> Um What do they say you no, have a face for radio?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry you you have a face for video also
2: thank thanks, Kate. I feel like there's a hole there that that, that is being dug. um no, but but probably something like contains vast amount of energy.
0: You do though, <laughs> nice. you do so much. you're like a superwoman, and I don't know how you do it. um mine, especially right now, would just be fragile, handle with care. <laughs> um I say oh, right now hug? but often Aww. or caution highly sensitive. Um but you know.
1: Not keep out of reach of children.
0: Also definitely that. <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, fair cop, fair cop. Okay, let's look, let's move away from roasting me as much as I've missed this <laughs> vibe. Truly, truly I have. It's great to be back, folks. Um, <laughs> let's go into some science news. Kai, I'm not going to start with you just for that. Katrina, start okay. us off.
2: <laughs> what, <laughs>
0: what have you got for us this week?
2: Yay. Um, well, I'm going to start off with the question. How cool oh. would it be to go to Mars? Pretty cool. Um, yeah.
1: I, I
0: mean... mean are we talking one-way ticket, though, or return? No, no,
2: no, round round trip.
0: Yeah, okay. If I could come home, or if my friends came with me, then yes. <laughs> Those are my <laughs> contingencies, but sure.
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll actually uh, get to how long it'll take you to, okay. to have a round trip. But, um, yeah, I mean, how awesome would it be to, to go? Um, but if you think about it, besides the few astronauts that have gone to the moon that happened last century. Like Astronomers mm. have remained reasonably close to Earth, and that's because outside of the protective sort of little cocoon of Earth's magnetic field is mm. an entire universe full of radiation. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ideal. Very appealing. Um, so Perfect radiation trouble. is essentially super fast, supercharged particles that are essentially like an atomic scale cannonball that blast through materials and leave damage everywhere. Um, And there are two main types of hazardous radiation in space. We've got solar energetic particles from our sun Mm -hmm. as well as uh, galactic cosmic rays that come elsewhere from the cosmos, Um, and they're actually even higher. In terms of energy, so th- mm-hmm. the the ones that come from um, outer space are, are more dangerous, um, and so essentially limit the the greatest limitation of space travel, um, and the reason that we can't get to Mars yet is the high levels of radiation that astronauts are exposed mm. to. Um, if astronauts spend too long in space, the radiation causes DNA damage. It essentially causes mutations to DNA, and those yep. mutations can lead to cancer and other illnesses, which is not ideal. Not great. No, yeah. not ideal. Um, so to put it into perspective, um, a full body CT scan that you get in a medical clinic mm. gives you about 10 millisv, which is the, the um, measurement of radiation. Radiation, yeah. Yeah. Um, Someone who works, like a radiation worker, would be exposed to less than 50 milli SV mm-hmm. um, in, in a year, and that's kind of what's the, the mandated limit. Um, and an astronaut on the International Space Station is exposed to 100 only in six months. Um, oh, okay. Yep. So, that's that's in the International Space Station, which is still close to Earth. So, if you mm. imagine going to Mars, like that's pushing well above the limits that are safe. Um, mm. So... The actual news is, I guess, answering the question, will it ever be safe for humans mm. to, to fly to Mars? And an international research team published a paper last week in Space Weather Love saying it. that uh, – it's a great name for a journal um, – saying that, yes, it just might work as long as, one, the round trip doesn't exceed four years. Mm-hmm. Two, it that's provided that the spacecraft has sufficient shielding Um, Mm -hmm. And three, the timing of the trip is going to make all the difference. So, essentially, you want the mission to leave Earth when solar activity is at its peak. So, that's because you've got the solar particles. So, all that solar radiation, yes, Mm -hmm. that's higher. But what that means is the the more dangerous and energetic particles that come from distant galaxies are deflected. So, it's kind of like a trade-off. You've got more solar radiation, less galactic cosmic rays and so that's the safest mm, time to go interesting yeah so and actually uh, you could get to mars in about nine months so it's certainly yeah, plausible wow. that you can get there and back in two years um but obviously if you're taking that long to get there like you kind of want to stay for a bit you don't just want to pop over <laughs> yeah, for a day yeah <laughs> it's, um but yeah certainly if you travel for that through. length of time it's plausible yeah wow
0: well, that's exciting. Mm. I look forward to my five-year stint round-trip, four-year? No, four, you said four-year. Year. Four years. Four-year no round-trip stint. Okay. One day longer,
2: you get cancer, are <laughs>
0: Three
1: years, 11
0: months um, just to be safe. Amazing. That's really exciting. Kai, what have you got?
1: Well, I want to talk about a cool robot that some scientists in the US have developed, and it is basically a robot fish.
2: Oh god! Why? And
1: it's well. <laughs> why not? We'll get to that. Yeah, fair, that's fair. obviously the answer. Definitely. But there's, there's other reasons too. Okay. Um, the cool thing about this robo fish is that it mimics the swimming motion of real fish. Like it, it flips its tail back and forth, and mm-hmm. that propels it. It's not like a propeller-driven submarine or anything. It mm-hmm. actually swims like a fish. Yeah. Wow. And that's pretty cool. But people have made swimming fish robots before. Mm-hmm. But the problem is they're not very efficient. Like, real fish are much better at swimming than robo fish. They've had millions and billions of years of evolution to get it right. Mm. But robo fish so far have been really inefficient swimmers.
0: Interesting. We haven't been able to, like, just model a real fish like the, I don't know. Well, people have tried, but but they haven't got it. Reconstruct it and then turn it into a... I guess that's what, they, yeah, they've been trying to do, but they just haven't. They've been trying
1: to do, yeah. And you think about it, a real fish is kind of complicated. It's got muscles and tendons mm. Look and at stuff. me on
0: my, like, high horse. Why can't we just do this? Have not they tried yeah, that? Like, it's just like, like, here we come along guys, as humans duh. thinking that we
2: can um, do
1: it. <laughs> yeah, invent time travel while you're at it, you know, whatever. Uh,
0: yeah, um, sorry. Sorry. Like, Full respect to all fish scientists. <laughs> robo fish scientists, but you,
1: you're kind of on the on the right track. The reason people haven't done it before is because their robo fish haven't been similar enough to real fish. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that they've sort of overcome in this recent robo fish, it has to do with the stiffness of the tail. Mm-hmm. So a real fish can tense up its muscles and make its tail more stiff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when they do this, when they at like adjust the speed that they're swimming. Like different tail stiffnesses are optimum at different swimming speeds.
0: Right.
1: So what they've done with this robot fish is that they put a spring in the tail that can be adjusted, and mm-hmm. that can adjust the stiffness. Oh wow! And this they say that this spring is kind of like a tendon. Yeah. And the more the force that they put on it determines how the the tail operates. And I think it's kind it's of so funny. interesting. That because they have the ability to tune. The tension in this spring, they mm. call their robot fish the tunable tuna.
0: Oh, my God, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Love <Fantastic. it. laughs> Give them an oh, email scientists can well be so punny.
1: Oh, I know. It's great. Um, so, at, at slow speeds, this fish, like, it just swims faster. The faster you, mm-hmm. it beats its tail, it swims faster up until a certain point where it becomes really inefficient. It's like, mm-hmm. speeding the tail faster doesn't help much. But if at that point they stiffen up the tail... Using the spring, it can continue to swim faster and faster.
0: Oh, nifty! Mm.
1: And yeah, this is this is kind of cool because, as you said, Kate, it gets a better idea of how real fish swim, mm. and you know, it's it's using nature to to model like robots and and you know, inspire.
0: Yeah, nature nature knows what it's doing. We should nature listen to it more. Nature knows what it's doing. Yeah. I reckon.
1: Yep,
2: biomimicry, massive they,
1: Mm. yeah exactly they they reckon that they, using this technology and future advancements on it they can make like swarms of robot fish that they can use for underwater observation oh heck yes for like that's something like
0: straight out of a superhero movie like Aquaman
1: <laughs> and his swarm of robo fish robo-fish.
0: surveillance sure robo fish yeah Not like a school <laughs> no a, no no a, school a school swarm <laughs> a swarm it's a, yeah. it, they're robo it's a swarm obviously <laughs> you don't have a school um. of robots <laughs> Definitely Very
1: sounds cool. more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kate, what have you got for news?
0: So what I've got is a study out of the New York Institute of Technology that has found something incredibly interesting about humans being not quite as fantastic as we thought we were, um, which I love. I always love when <laughs> humans get knocked down a peg from our, you know, egocentric view of the universe. Um And so for a long time, we thought, I say we, Grant, we, everyone, (laughs) the general scientific consensus was that humans had the longest primate stride for their height. So for our height, you know, we take good long strides. We've got, you know, quite long legs. You know, we're pretty, we're pretty fantastic. We like to think that we were very efficient (laughs) in the way that we walked and um, turns out chimpanzees Take twenty five percent longer strides than we do, so mm. that's awkward. Um, <laughs> because they off. do this really cool thing where they like swivel their hips, like they fully rotate. Like they they swagger. We stride. They swagger.
2: Like <laughs> they walk with style.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly, truly. So essentially, what this study did is they compared the strides of our closest primate relatives, the chimpanzee. Um, with with humans standardized by size, by the way. So mm-hmm. essentially, what they did is they they recorded humans walking on a on a treadmill, and they got some chimpanzees, got them up walking on two legs, which they can do. They don't always do. They sometimes walk um, on on four limbs, but they can walk bipedally. And so they did this also on a treadmill, um, recorded these, and then reconstructed these like stride patterns and hip motions in, like, 3D reconstructions, scaled the humans down to the size of the chimps and found that even though the humans' legs were proportionally 112% longer, their strides were 26.7% shorter. Because chimps Mm. swiveled their hips 61 degrees in compared to humans who only moved their pelvises about 8 degrees. So 61 degrees swagger versus, like, 8 degrees <laughs> swagger. Um, so even though they have their little legs, uh, yeah. And so the researchers believed that this, you know, that the chimps use these pelvic rotations to try to squeeze every little bit of stride length out because, like, without that, they would have such tiny little strides that it would be hilarious. They're like, <laughs> it just really wouldn't be worth it. So they they've gotta kinda of do what they can and just use and you know. And um Yeah. So don't really know why humans have evolved out of this. Possibly because the extreme rotation of the hips can like throw out the natural swing of our arms. Mm.
1: But and is it is it just more efficient? Like if you have to swing your hips around, that yeah. Like they're seems thinking like it might
0: just not be the price worth paying for the increased stride length in terms of yeah, forcing the muscles to work harder to just do th- swagger. Yeah. Swagger looks cool; it has a
1: price to pay, but it,
0: it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost, and 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 is that cost worth the stride length for you? You know,
2: yeah, I guess that's in terms the of ultimate speed. question.
0: Like- um, you know, do you need? The clout, yes or no. Uh, chimps say yes. Humans generally say no. But, you know, each, each to their own. That's what this study <laughs> found, though. So uh, that's what I have for news. And right after this song, I'm going to launch into our show all about dinosaurs. So, of course, we had to. Our very first song is
2: Dinosaurs by Ruby Fields. Hello, and welcome back to Radio Silence. You're listening to us on Radio Fodder, and you can also catch us on SoundCloud and on Twitter at Radio Silence. That was Dinosaurs by Ruby Fields. So, today's episode, all about dinosaurs, and I'm super excited to hear yes. what you've got for us, Kate. What are you talking about?
0: Well, look, you can't have an episode on dinosaurs and not talk about good old Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, you just have to. You just have to. And so I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to do it. <laughs> I'm going to start us off and that's where we're going. Get it over and done with and then you guys can talk about, you know, the more hipster, obscure, cool dinosaurs. Because <laughs> we I are just, the hipsters. There's, there's something in particular that I want to talk about. But, like, first, you know, okay, T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex. The name means King of the Tyrant Lizards, which I just... Bless. I love it. <laughs> massive, massive beast. If you weren't aware, they're about, well, are about, were, were about 12 meters long, which is, you know, about the length of a bus, to contextualize. Almost four meters tall. So, once again, just, like, flipping huge. Weighed, you know, five to eight tons. So, that's, like, five to 8,000 kilograms. Um Jaws so powerful they could crush a car delivering up to six tons of pressure in one bite. Sixty serrated teeth that were twenty centimeters long. One tooth. <laughs> twenty centimeters. Um That's quite long. to, you know, pierce and grip the flesh, because they were serrated. Um, you know, these T Rex, they were huge, they preyed on living animals and sometimes ate one another. Like they fierce, crazy the lower jaw actually had a joint midway through it to, like, possibly help absorb some of the, like, shock generated by the struggling prey that was still alive as it got swallowed <laughs> almost whole. Not terrifying um, at all. Right. <laughs> so we've got to talk about them. We've got to talk about them. Also, just quickly, I want you to both describe to me, when when you're imagining a T-Rex posture, like, what? how do you picture it?
1: Sort Pretty- of like... Standing on two legs and, and leaning forward a bit. So, like, its tail balances But about. leaning, it's yeah, like...
0: okay. That's why yeah. you're better than me because my, and a lot of people's kind of instinctive sort of thought was, you know, Godzilla style, like upright. <laughs>
1: standing up. Because
0: well, that's what we thought for a while, <laughs> legit, is that their tail yeah, right. was, like, down on the ground and that they were, like, these upright things. And then, you know, we later figured out that they due to the the shape of their pelvic bone and how they related to other you know um you know species similarly aligned that they would actually have that horizontal flat back with the tail out counterbalancing just the the, the mm. massive ferocious head that was just <laughs> killing machine but like okay we got to talk about the arms fam <laughs> this is what I want to talk about in I want to talk story, about they just those... seem useless well there's that whole like bit from oh what was it meet the Robinsons where he's like the the t-rex is like trying to get the boy hiding in the corner it's like why aren't you seizing the boy and it's like I have a big head and little arms I'm just not sure how well this plan was thought through and it's just it lives rent free in my mind so like it's it's the it's the, the, it's great for jokes right we love it but like to contextualize it the arms are less than a metre long, like, less than one-eighth the length of its hind limbs. But if you want to think about it, the arm is about the length of a human arm. So remember how I said they are about the size of a bus? So just picture, like, mm-hmm. a bus with human arms. Just picture that for a moment. <laughs> Hilarious! Great imagery. Um, but the best part... Well, the best part. It's not the best part. But, like, the, something that is interesting to me is that we still don't know why they have... <laughs> These tiny little arms, like, it's heavily debated among scientists. So, like, the interesting, the, the bit that's debated is not so much why their arms are so small or why they don't have big arms. It's more like, why do they have arms at all? Like, if they're not going to have big arms, like, why bother with anything? <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of where the debate lies. Because, like, we know that the arms got smaller. They, what's called atrophied Um, during the Tyrannosaur evolution. As the head got bigger, the arms got smaller. And this makes sense because, like, as the jaw takes over as the main powerful weapon... You know the T. Rex needs really big, thick neck muscles to hold up that really huge head and and make that really powerful bite. And so as the neck and arm, like neck and arm muscles compete for space in the shoulder, so it appears like that as the neck muscles start to win out, the the arm muscles lose out. Like that that makes perfect sense. Also, yep. like they don't need them while running anymore because like. Humans, we use our arms when we're running, like, we swing them by our side to help stabilize us, whereas the T-Rex tail essentially performs this same function. So, like, the arms would just get in the way. Once again, it's like a cost question, right? So Um, they're like the appendix, like our appendix. (laughs) Well, potentially, potentially. This is is part of the debate, like, you know, because, yeah, like, long arms can be broken, they're vulnerable for disease, they take energy to maintain, like, so if Mm. they aren't needed it makes sense not having them. So it's easy to explain why their like function was lost and how they became small, but like, why did they stick around at all? Are they just an evolutionary sort of leftover like some people think the appendix to be? I don't know, that's actually a whole debated thing as well. But, <laughs> you know, the tailbone, for example, like the human tailbone. We don't have tails anymore, but we still have a tailbone. Is it like that? Or, you know, did they, did they use the arms? And the interesting thing is that studying... Fossils revealed a couple of things. First of all, the forearm bones were covered in muscle attachments. Obviously no muscle, because you've just found the bones, but places where muscles and tendons and stuff yep. would attach. So, obviously, they could be moved, right? There, there was musculature there. Um, but, yeah, so what studying these these fossils revealed is that they definitely used their arms for something and that they also potentially got broken throughout their lifetime, which is interesting Mm. because it means that whatever they were using them for was they were possibly like pretty poorly suited for that. Um, And also it meant that because the, the breaking in the arm could heal, the animals could go for periods of time, like a month without using the arms quite comfortably and still live because these breakages were able to heal in these fossils. So it's really interesting. So it's like they were obviously using the arms for something, whatever it was, probably wasn't ideal. Um, And the interesting thing is, like, it's so debated. It's so debated what they were using their arms for. So I'm just going to throw a quick few of the, like, hottest theories out there at the moment. So number one, um, possibly for helping resting dinosaurs push themselves up from the ground. This theory (laughs) uh, hails from 1970. British paleontologist Barney Newman suggested that these arms weren't so much pushing up, but... Used to prevent the body from skidding forward as the animal used its hind legs to stand up. So it's lying down. It's using its hind legs, its strong legs to stand up, but these little front arms braced it to stop it skidding forward. Like Uh, little
2: cute push-ups.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, kind of like hilarious when you think about it. Um, Like an entire bus with arms. Uh, Yeah. And, like, half the problem with this is that the construction, reconstruction that led to this theory had the arms with, like, palm facing down. And we now know that their wrists can't actually, like, rotate in that direction. They actually oh, wow. have their palms facing together. And it's like their little, you know, when they've got two fingers, it's like the thumb and forefinger with the palms facing in. When you're doing your little T-Rex impressions, that's important to note. Um, and so, yeah. And given the counterbalancing of the tail, that's probably, the arms probably weren't necessary to help them stand up. Um. Another theory, non-predatory purposes, uh, like another non-predatory purpose, possibly to help grip a mate. So studies on the biomechanics of the arms have shown that the muscles like, were, were powerful at what the movement called adduction, which is like bringing the arms in, a.k.a. like like hugging, right? <laughs> so it could have been used as part of the courtship or to hold you in place during sex.
1: Honestly, that's not something I'd thought about or like, yeah. tried to visualize before. It's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's very important for evolution. It's a possibility, <laughs> and and many scientists believe this, but also many argue that the claws on the fingers would be dangerous during sex. The question, however, be helpful if there was any struggle involved, which there may have been. We don't know if Tyrannosaurus <laughs> sex was. All consensual. So, you know, and, and that leads into another theory, which is that they were actually not grabbing uh, a mate, but prey. So the little arms were used to hug or grab prey, hold the prey in place while the death chomp kind of, I'm
2: going to hug you,
0: then I'm yeah, going to eat you. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, another theory is that the claws were used to, like, slash and fight, but that doesn't really make sense because they would have to be, like, right up next to them. And, you know, all the scientists are like, hmm, that doesn't make any sense unless they're a juvenile. So the interesting thing is the juveniles had much smaller chests and proportionally bigger arms. So what Mm. some scientists think is that essentially you've got your adult T-Rexes running around with teenage arms. Um, So, like, (laughs) as they grew up, the arms, as they didn't need the arms anymore when they got bigger and their jaws got stronger, the arms just stopped growing. Um, Whereas when they were juveniles, maybe they did use the claws to fight and help hunt. So, you know... It's still, we don't know. The, the point is, we don't know, and I love that. I love that for science. Mm-hmm. Um, still still on the hunt for those answers. So,
2: yeah. That's- <laughs> Thanks for that story, Kate. Little cute imagery there of T-Rex push-ups. Um, we've got a song coming up for you called Zoom by Last Dinosaurs, and we'll catch you after that. You're listening to Radio Silence. You are listening to
0: Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ray- Ray Silence, Radio Silence and find us on SoundCloud. Today, we are talking all about dinosaurs. So that was Zoom by Last Dinosaurs. Kai, what dinosaur-related science do you have for us?
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about some dinosaurs, but some mm-hmm. of the, the, the lesser-known ones. Because- yeah, you would. <laughs> Most of the dinosaurs that we regularly think about, e.g., T. Rex, um, are mainly mm-hmm. from Europe and North America, mm-hmm. and this is probably a consequence of like popular depictions of dinosaurs, like Jurassic Park.
0: Mm. T. Rex is th- North America. T. Rex is a North American. Um, so that kind of makes sense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
0: yeah.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some other dinosaurs that we, we don't see very often, and that's right. I'm gonna talk about some Australian dinosaurs. Nice. So, yeah, dinosaurs did exist all around the world. And in the early Triassic period, most of the world was one giant supercontinent called Pangaea. Mm-hmm. And this was when dinosaurs, as we, as we know them, or as they're like, you know, true dinosaurs, there was lizard dinosaur like things before they truly became dinosaurs. But the definition is really technical and you probably don't care. So, <laughs> after, after this, this supercontinent, Pangaea, Split up like after the dinosaurs had already come in about, this supercontinent split up into uh, two continents called Gondwanaland, which includes modern or the modern continents that are Australia, Africa, South America, Antarctica, and India. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world formed this other continent they called Laurasia. And this because the continents split up, different devo- dinosaurs developed in different areas. Mm. And it's really cool. And one of the reasons why they can sort of go, oh, yeah, these continents were joined hundreds of millions of years ago is because there are lots of similarities between fossils found in Australia, Africa, South America, Antarctica that were all joined together because mm. the same dinosaurs roamed all around these, the, the, well, you know, these land masses that are now mm. separated by oceans. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that, you know, you can piece together this puzzle. Like, are you, you sure can actually... they didn't just,
0: like, walk on water, though? Like, <laughs> I swam across.
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe, but okay. the, the okay. science says it's most likely the that they were all connected. <laughs> um, but also, there yeah. are some dinosaurs whose fossils have been uniquely found in Australia. Interesting. And one example is the Quantasaurus intrepidus. Now, mm-hmm. Quantasaurus, it is named after the airline... Which yeah. is, is no. pretty funny. No. <laughs> oh, I was
0: thinking like quantum, like quantum no. Quantosaurus. Like, this
2: is going to be some. Of course, you picked like a physics dinosaur. No, no. okay. <laughs> you know, Quantus.
1: Gotcha. It's named well, after the planes. I mean, if
2: there are things named after Sonic the Hedgehog and, and SpongeBob, SquarePants, uh, like it's why true and Pikachu, there's a Pikachu <laughs> protein.
1: Why but not? Like, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, this dinosaur wasn't quite a T Rex. It was quite small even compared to humans and it was what's called uh, the type of dinosaur was an ornithopod mm-hmm. so what this means is it walked on two legs it was a herbivore and yeah so it was it was kind of like a small cute little dinosaur that that walked around and ate plants
0: did it have feathers or scales
1: well we don't really know there's a, there's there's a few things we don't know about it because You know, some of the fossils we have is literally just the head or like a partial skull fossil. They can can tell what it ate because of its teeth. Mm -hmm. They can tell how big it was because how big its head was. But they don't have a huge amount of information about this dinosaur. But there are some interesting things that they can discern from the fossils they do have. Mm -hmm. Now, one of them, we need to go back to thinking about this continent, Gondwana land. It was quite far south. Mm -hmm. Now, Australia as a continent is drifting north, and that means millions of years ago it was much further south. It was connected to Antarctica.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: And Antarctica didn't really move that much. Yeah. So, like, prehistoric Australia was, like, way, way down south. Yeah. Now, even though... Truly the land down under. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Even though the global climate when dinosaurs were running around was much, much warmer... And, you know, we hear Australia was covered in rainforests and things like that when the dinosaurs are around. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, that sort of imagery, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But what really shocked me when I found this out was that it was like Antarctica, where it currently is, is covered in rainforests. You know, at the bottom, the South Pole is like,
0: your mind. Oh, that's climate. wild. That's like that a is... parallel universe. That's like the multiverse going whack. That's <laughs> that's something else. It's
1: such a mind-boggling fact to think that like that far south. Mm. And the thing it gets better because obviously when you're that far south, like below the Antarctic Circle, mm. during summer, the days are really, really long. And in winter, mm. the nights are yeah. like endless. So
0: like how would the climate cope with that?
1: Well, yeah, like the climate was warm, but also really sunny in winter and really dark in winter. Like, sorry, and sunny in summer and, and dark, dark in, in winter. winter. So, it's it's really bizarre how, yeah. how different this actually was. And it, it's mind-boggling to think about it. Gosh. But even though the climate how was warmer and there were rainforests and stuff, they have found evidence that the seas actually froze over as well. Or oh. Like, pack ice mm. formed. And... This is really, like, really bizarre because they found, like, from the, the fossils of Quantasaurus that was running around in Australia, they found these fossils in, like, Wonthaggi, so pretty close to Melbourne, actually. Mm-hmm. And this skeleton doesn't have, like, basically what are, like, growth rings. So when... Oh, yeah, yeah. Animals that, like, hibernate, cool. they have, like, growth rings, you know, like a because tree they, does. Like a tree does. because
2: am like thinking, a tree? Exactly. But in their bones. In their bones. It comes out so in, in summer and them. then it
1: hibernates in winter. And you can tell mm. that it has this, like, you know, seasonal variation. Oh, that's yeah, but that's cool. the thing really cool. is, the quantosaurus doesn't have these rings, which suggests okay. that it doesn't hibernate throughout the winter. Oh,
0: interesting. Now, it
1: dinosaur, it's active all year round. It likes the darkness. Because the seas freeze over, it also actually gets really cold. Now, I don't know about you, but everyone seems to think that dinosaurs are cold-blooded. But for this mm. dinosaur to be active all year round in areas that had frozen seas, mm. it's very, very likely that it was warm-blooded.
2: Mm. Oh, my gosh.
1: And this is, like, you know, completely different to our idea of, of what dinosaurs are like. And it's really, like, really mind-blowing that, you know... This exi- or these fossils were found in Australia and...
2: Yeah, wow.
1: Just the world was so different back then.
2: That's so cool. Yeah. For those of you who can't see me, like, my mouth is just open. Yeah, I know. You're just <laughs>
1: <laughs> in
0: shock. I love it.
1: Now, Quantasaurus oh. was similar to another Australian dinosaur known as... I'm, I'm going <laughs> to stuff this... jet
0: oh, wow. Jetstaurus? <laughs> Tigrosaurus? No, I don't this, know what other airlines is, do we this have. No, is much
1: harder to say... Fulgurotherium austral.
0: What's that named and after? I don't know that brand.
1: Don't know, but it's it's also, <laughs> it's more common name is Lightning Beast.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Lightning <laughs> is, McQueen, is a cool the dinosaur. Name.
1: Um, and the reason it's called Lightning Beast is because it was found near Lightning Ridge in northern New South Wales.
0: Okay, not because hmm. it's like lightning fast. I'm picturing no, 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 no. this little no. It's all,
1: all about where it's found. Okay. Now, this area is quite dry now. It's like pretty desert-like. But in the Cretaceous period, when these dinosaurs were running around, it was much warmer and was also on the coast of an inland sea. Now, the reason that it's named after Lightning Ridge is really important because Lightning Ridge is famous for its opal mines.
0: It's one of the two
1: sort of major places in Australia that people think about when they think of opal mining. Mm -hmm. Now... This is important because when people are mining for opals often they find dinosaur fossils which is it's really yeah, cool like right. lots of cool fossils are found in this area but the really cool thing is a lot of these fossils are opalized.
2: <gasps> oh. That's so a thing. It, that dinosaur is a thing. Yeah. fossils with bling.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> when when fossils or fossils form when minerals like make yeah. a cast of an object and like so the bones
2: opals are
1: and these these are literally dinosaur fossils that are made of opal.
0: That's so that oh. would be Could you imagine finding one of those? I wouldn't want to oh. like I wouldn't want to give it up to the paleontologist. Like my heart would. <laughs> I'd be like, I know there's some good science in this beauty, but like when you're done with the science, it's going back home and it's going straight to the pool room. Like <laughs> But yeah, I was thinking, like, if you kept it, what would you do with it? Like Put it on display. It's too Decorative item in my home. All my guests that I get, you know, with lockdown, uh, all
2: <laughs> my guests would see it and know that I had an opal fossil. It yeah. sounds like the start of like an episode for any of the murder TV shows, though. Like having <laughs> an opalized dinosaur in your pool room. Fair. Yeah, it's like fair and true. <laughs> I could Ooh. hold my own. Sorry, fine. that's off topic.
1: Key <laughs> no, no, like. That's that's basically the punchline. Like, this is just so cool that these... And it's, it's really only in Australia because Australia mm-hmm. is one of the countries that has, like, I think Ethiopia is, like, the only other country that has major opal exports in the world. And for us to have these fossilized dinosaur bones that are opals as well is... Oh. It's really amazing. And, yeah, you're right. They're some of the most rare and beautiful fossils in the world. And yeah, they come boy. from dinosaurs that... Live right here in australia
0: amazing oh, love you. that for us uh <laughs> and with that i'm going to take us into our next song which once again very fitting is dinosaur stampede by hayden Coleman.
1: welcome back to radio silence where we're bringing science into focus here on radio fodder that was dinosaur stampede by hayden kelnan today we're talking all about dinosaurs and catriona tell us more
2: yeah, I'm gonna continue on with the hipster theme of Aussie dinosaurs. You, <laughs> you guys know, I'd like
0: would. It's yeah. making me look bad with my T. Rex, but you know, t-rex someone is had too to. Mainstream. Someone had to be the basic <laughs> bitch, and I, you know, I will gladly accept the role. Thank you for taking on. one
2: for the team, Kate. <laughs> so most of our dinosaur fossils in Australia come from the Cretaceous period, um, and many of our dinosaurs have been discovered in the Winton Formation, which is a large geological deposit in sort of central western Queensland, um, Mm -hmm. and and that's from the late Cretaceous period, that has the remains of dinosaurs that lived 98 to 95 million years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thickness and the extent of the Winton Formation makes it one of the biggest geological formations on this continent, which is pretty pretty impressive. Mm because in some areas it sort of gets to over 400 metres thick, which is quite decent wow. geologically. Yeah, wow. Um, and sort of what Kai, you were you were talking about, um, much of the Winton Formation has been deeply weathered and that weathering of the rock creates altered rocks and in much of those parts you get opals, which is awesome. Um, mm. But... In the Winton Formation, at least, it's a little bit different to what you were talking about. The dinosaur fossils are generally only in the less weathered areas, so you're not really getting the opalized fossils in this area. Um, and yep. let's be, let's be real: dinosaur bones definitely trump opals. <laughs> but opal. <laughs> but what if bones when? They're if, if you can have them together, <laughs> then yes. But in this what case, it's yeah. one yeah. or the other, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um So the. I, I'm just going to tell you all these stories about dinosaurs that have been found here because I think it, it, it's it's really do, super cool. please do. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so the discovery of the first one in the area was pretty serendipitous. Um, basically, a guy named David Elliott was a third generation grazer. He'd been farming sheep and cattle on properties around Witten since he was 17, and in 1999, he stumbled across the bones of a, a gigantic sauropod. So, a, a sauropod meaning a lizard footed, large, four legged, herbivorous kind of dinosaur. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like got a long neck and a tail, if you mm-hmm. can sort of picture that. Yeah. Um, so, he just happened to find the bones on his land. Um, and ever since then, David and his wife, Judy, devoted their lives to developing the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum of Natural oh my History. Oh, gosh. So amazing. They're like, given up sheep farming and cattle farming that's like you know many I people mean, are doing that if Dinosaurs. i found dinosaur
0: bones on my property i would probably do the same yeah
2: <laughs> um so yeah, what are the chances? And since then, like his son has found dinosaurs, and it's just it's like now a family business. I don't, I don't know if it's actually a business. <laughs> incredible.
0: But, um, it's, it's a it's a family it's a uh, rite of passage. Yeah, you're not part of the family until you
2: find your first bones. <laughs> so like he was a third generation grazer. Now his son's like a second generation dinosaur hunter. Like incredible. <laughs> um. So following that initial discovery. That particular land and that site has been excavated and yielded Mm -hmm. many fantastic finds and, like, new dinosaur species, which is pretty exciting. Um, So, in particular, um, they found the remains of one of the most complete sauropod dinosaurs ever found in Australia. And they found that in 2005 Mm -hmm. and named it – well, they didn't name it, but the scientific community named it – Savannasaurus ellatorium, so named after the savannah country that it was found mm-hmm. in and after the Elliots. Huh. So that's quite nice. That's pretty nice. They now have a dinosaur named after them. That is cool. That's very cool. It's yeah. literally in the family now. <laughs> yeah. Go out, find a dinosaur on your land, you get it named after you. Mm. <laughs> First, um, I need to own some land. Yeah. Step one. Step one. Acquire <laughs> land. <laughs> yes. Um, probably Damn. not, like, land in the CBD or, like metro yeah. area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so to, to give you an estimate of size, the Savannahsaurus, um, was sort of medium-sized, approximately half the length of a basketball court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reasonably big. Pretty um, big. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. With a, a long neck and a relatively short tail for sauropods. Mm-hmm. Um, and its hips were like at least one meter wide. And it, like, the rib cage was like a barrel of beer, essentially, like, mm. just, just a massive barrel. So it was, it was pretty big, and, um, like, scientifically they say it's the most rotund sauropod that we've oh found gosh. so far, and I'm just like, oh, Love it, rude. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have to be rude. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it's one it's dinosaur. a descriptive word. I enjoy it. Hmm. Um, so for another dinosaur, um, another owner of a sheep station in Winton – Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Watts also discovered dinosaur fossils on his property. It's the place to buy land. Yeah. Go buy land in Winton. Yeah. Um, and so the actual dinosaur fossil was, was found earlier. So it was found in 1974 and um, mm. uh, some people collected the bones at the time, um, but then they sort of forgot about it and lost the site. They couldn't remember where they'd, you know, picked up those bones. It was just... <laughs> A little bit sad. Um, And so the location was kind of lost until 2004 when um, Dr. Stephen Poropat, who's um, a great paleontologist who's at Swinburne University of Technology, Mm -hmm. um, he used clues from a roughly drawn map, like literally like a treasure map. Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) X marks the spot. (laughs) X marks the spot. Oh, there was like a sign that was like near the thing and maybe that's the sign. Um, And literally it took like the local mayor's helicopter flying over the area to be like, Oh, actually, okay. We think it's this spot. Um, and wow. so now they've like rediscovered the area, excavated, excavated more, and they've found more remains of the now termed, uh, Wintonotian, watsy So again, named Wotzy. after Keith Watts. Like, Oh,
0: right. Of course. You, yeah. You just, you <laughs> what's have he dinosaurs? doing today? He's discovering a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, so this one's plant eating as well, and it's four legged. It's a it's another four legged sauropod, mm-hmm. um, and it's a it's a new type of titanosaur. Um, and titanosaurs were the largest animals ever to walk the earth. Um, and this this ever. one, yeah, ever. Um, wow. So this this one, Clancy, <laughs> was approximately fifteen to sixteen meters long. Um, yeah, wow. Well. And around three meters high um, at the hip, so like even even oh, higher, wow. but like wow. its hip was three meters off the ground. Gosh, um, okay, so, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. pretty um big, huge. Yeah, and um, lastly, there are Banjo and Matilda. Um, so these are Who two gets new dinosaurs. As to well. Name these. I love it. <laughs> Truly, well, these these are actually named so Banjo Patterson wrote Waltzing Matilda uh, in Winton. So that's uh, why we've now got Banjo and uh, Matilda. Um so and these two might, are Clancy <laughs> was in
1: in like Banjo Patterson's Yeah, uh, they're Manchin kind of Slayer like all named
2: together. Yeah um, huh. but, but um, Banjo is an Australaventor Wintonensis. So again named after Winton, it's impressive
0: the area that a dinosaur wrote Waltzing Matilda. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yes, written by banjo. a dinosaur however many million years ago. Um, <laughs> so this one's the one carnivorous one. So Banjo is carnivorous. Um, and uh, essentially Banjo is like, has, has been coined as Australia's answer to the Velociraptor. Because it's Amazing. speedy, uh, razor sharp teeth, um, slashy claws, but bigger than mm-hmm. um, what a velocir- Velociraptor was. Yeah, take was.
0: that, Velociraptor. Who yeah. would win
2: in a fight. An Australian one, obviously. Banjo. Um, And then Matilda is a river lizard, um, so sort of like a gigantic hippo. But Banjo and Matilda are kind of a pair because what they think happened was um, Banjo's death isn't exactly known, but they think that Banjo was killed while preying on Matilda that was already bogged. (laughs) (laughs) So both of them sucked in together, (laughs) fossilized (laughs) together, and preserved forevermore. An adorable story, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really cute. Um, And then I've I've got one last story, Um, the Lark Quarry Stampede. Um, So this is literally a stampede that happened 95 million years ago that's been preserved in time. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, there were herds of two-legged dinosaurs that came to drink at a lake. They were minding their own business. And then a, a huge carnivorous dinosaur spooked them. And they all just... It, it was chaos, and so Cue there were tracks the scene everywhere. from The Lion King. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Hopefully there were no, you know... No one in the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, hopefully there was no, like, great, sad, tragic death. But, mm. um, yeah. <laughs> um, so the large dino approached the lake, and, and so all of the footprints were left behind in the mud. And I think it's really cool that scientists can now tell that that's what happened, so they can tell which dinosaurs made the tracks by comparing footprints to the bones that we have of dinosaurs Mm. around the world. Um, And they can tell that they were running away really quickly um, based on just looking at living animals today and kind of going, okay, let's incorporate the size, the weight, and sort of the difference in flexibility, and, yeah, Mm. okay, we think they were running. Um, so yeah, they've, they've pieced together the stampede story. So Those are my it. little local Aussie stories of dinosaurs.
1: Very Moral cool. Of the story
2: by land in Winton. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if there's any left, um, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for that, Catriona. Always great to hear some dinosaur stories. But that's all the time we've got for today. Remember, you can catch us on SoundCloud, follow us on Twitter at Radio Silence, and here's our final song. It's Dorothy the
2: dinosaur.